Well, our lesson for this morning on uh, 16th of March is why Jesus died. The text is Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, which reads as follows. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear the message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now we're going to suspend our discussion of the proper upbringing of children during their first five years of life for the next two Sundays, today being Palm Sunday and next Sunday being Easter, to focus for these weeks on the life of Jesus Christ. Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem on the Sunday before his crucifixion. The people were hailing Jesus as the Messiah, and they strewed, strewed the fronds of the palm trees over the road which he traveled as a carpet so that King Jesus would not have to touch the dirt of the road. John chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 records, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, by contrast, it is fascinating for me to consider that God sent Jesus Christ to a group of people to facilitate their salvation from sin, and those people crucified the Christ rather than accept the mercy and the grace that he came to bring them. Matthew 13, 54 through 58 says, When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do mighty, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So Jesus' countrymen acknowledged that Jesus was displaying both wisdom and mighty works, but they nevertheless rejected Jesus because they could not understand the origin of his power. Jesus had the same humble beginnings that they themselves had. They knew his family, 
And it seems obvious to me by their reaction that Jesus probably did not stand out in the community during his youth, being known only as the carpenter's son. The fact that his countrymen designated him as the carpenter's son implies that in their opinion, Jesus should be knowledgeable about carpentry, but not about much else. And during this period of history, before the advent of the university, skills and trades were generally passed down from father to son. And if you wanted an education in a skill other than the skill of your father, you had to attach yourself as an apprentice to someone that had the skill that you wanted to learn. Jesus, however, worked in Joseph's carpentry shop for 30 years, and then one day went to the Jordan River, was baptized by John, and just began doing the miracles and teaching the lessons <coughs> Excuse me, that led him to the position in which he found himself during this lesson with no other formal training. So Jesus did not have the pedigree of a holy man having the background of a simple carpenter. Not only that, Jesus was a carpenter from the town of Galilee, a place that did not get any respect as a place in which a holy person could grow up. When Jesus traveled from Galilee to Jerusalem for one of the designated feasts, he performed miracles and taught with great wisdom in the Jerusalem temple. And in so doing, Jesus caused the great controversy, as is recorded in John chapter 7, verse 40 through 53. The Bible says, Therefore many from the crowd when they heard Jesus speak, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. So the controversy surrounding Jesus had nothing to do with his teaching or with his ability to work miracles, but with the location of his hometown. It seems incredible to me that the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees would be aware of the prophecy of the Messiah, that the prophecy of the prophecy that the Messiah would be a descendant of David from the town of Bethlehem, and choose to persecute the person who clearly displayed the correct signs to be considered the Messiah without inquiring as to whether or not he was born or had been raised in the city of Bethlehem. But did Jesus actually display the signs of the Messiah? Was there any question in the mind of the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees that Jesus worked sufficient works to be considered the Son of God? Well, 
let us look at the episode that preceded Jesus' arrest and trial for heresy. The episode begins with Jesus receiving a message from two women that he had befriended, those being Mary and Martha. The message indicated that their brother Lazarus had fallen deathly ill and they wanted Jesus to come and heal him. Jesus procrastinated for a couple of days after receiving their message and then decided to act. John 11, 11 through 15 reads, These things Jesus said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then Jesus' disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now Lazarus lived and died in Bethany, a little town just outside of Jerusalem. When Jesus arrived there, he met with the bereaved sisters. John eleven twenty three to 27 records, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he, shall, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, the exhibition of the power of God working through Jesus had convinced Martha as Jesus had raised other people from the dead. Raising dead men from their graves is a singular sign of the presence of the power of God. And Martha is confessing her belief in Jesus Christ's ability to raise her brother. After they met with Mary, Martha's sister, Together they and the mourners all went to the site of Lazarus' tomb. John eleven thirty nine through 44 records the events. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now this ability to raise a man from the dead who has been dead and in the tomb for at least four days is certainly a singular sign of a powerful relationship with God. However, that is not the way that the Jews saw it. John 11, 45 to 53 records, then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. But some of them, 
went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let Jesus alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, he did not say this on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. Notice that the Jews did not deny the actual resurrection of Lazarus, nor did they deny that Jesus was responsible. There was no controversy about that which Jesus has done. I would, however, like, to, like you to focus on two phrases used in the argument justifying the ex execution of Jesus. John eleven forty eight says, If we let Jesus alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nations. Now the Jewish leaders were in cahoots with the Romans. The Romans preferred to use local leadership rather than military force to keep conquered populations in line. The Romans were not particularly interested in changing the day-to-day -day life of the people in a conquered land, but were generally satisfied to receive the tax revenue that they commanded that the people of the conquered land pay. Rome could collect taxes by military force, but preferred to collect taxes with the cooperation of the local leadership acting as Roman administrators. And as the Jewish religious leaders were interested in maintaining their leadership status, they took on the job of Roman administrators, and they saw Jesus and his preaching of the kingdom of God as a threat to their administrative leadership. As Jesus' demonstration of power eroded their status in the eyes of the people, the Jewish leadership felt much less sanguine about their ability to collect the taxes and keep their jobs. So from their perspective, Jesus, miracles notwithstanding, had to go. John eleven forty nine and 50 tells us, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. In verse 48, the Jews talk about how Jesus' death will allow us to keep our place. In verse 50, the high priest talks about Jesus' death being expedient for us. Now, while it is true that from God's perspective, Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven at the judgment, it is also true that from the perspective of those who put Jesus to death, Jesus died because of their personal selfishness. The Jewish leaders decided to put Jesus to death 
because his good works threaten their positions of power. Even the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent of any crime, but assented to Jesus' crucifixion because the Jews implied that to allow Jesus to live was being unfriendly to the emperor. John 19, 12 through 15 and Matthew 27, 24 through 26 reads, from then on, Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man Jesus go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. <coughs> When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. There is something extremely negative about an agendized group with an ax to grind. When individuals form themselves into an association for the advancement of some cause, it is extremely important that the members maintain their individual morality. Do not allow the advancement of the group itself to become more important to you than the advancement of the cause for which the group is striving. Morality is largely an individual trait, one that each of us must have for ourselves. When we become part of a group, it becomes easier for us to justify immorality in order to advance the objectives of the group than it is for us to justify immorality for our own personal advancement. God ordains that each of us must be saved individually and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Our affiliation with the church group is not the same as our affiliation to God. And although Jesus walked the streets of Palestine for three and a half years doing nothing but good, the good that Jesus did focused on helping individuals, not the Jews as a group. The Jewish leadership conspired with the Roman authority to have Jesus crucified because Jesus was a threat to the leadership class as a group, not as individuals. John 18, 19-23 records, the high priest then asked Jesus about his discipline, his disciples, and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I have said. 
And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? But Jesus was struck because he failed to bow to the group authority of the high priest. Jesus answered the question posed by the high priest simply as one man answering another without the deference that the man that struck him anticipated that Jesus should have used to speak to a group leader. Jesus pointed out that the record of his activities and his doctrine was public, that he had done nothing in secret, that the details of his ministry were available to anyone who wished to know them. Even more importantly, Jesus' answer pointed out to the high priest that the high priest should have had some compelling reason to arrest him. It is not good form to arrest a man unless you have some good evidence that the man has done something wrong. And you can only obtain this evidence from the testimony of those who have witnessed the wrong that the man has done. Without witnesses to the evil, you have no reason to arrest a man. But the Jews did not arrest Jesus because of the evil that Jesus had done, because Jesus had not done any evil. The Jews arrested Jesus because Jesus upset the tyranny of the Jewish religious leadership. Jesus proved that a person that loved God could eat with tax collectors and sinners, even though the Jewish leadership instructed the people that it was a sin to do so. Jesus proved that a person that loved God could talk to and minister people that did not pay homage to the Jewish leadership, like the Samaritans, the Syrophoenician woman, and the Roman centurion. Jesus proved that individual devotion to God was more important than group affiliation, and that the Jewish leadership was a group of sinners because they drew their power not from the word of God, but from their group affiliation. Individually, the members of the Jewish leadership had no power. Their power was in their robes, in their collection of the temple tax and selling animals for sacrifice, in their presiding over the ceremonies, in the status that they cultivated for themselves in the community as leaders. Jesus' authority, however, did not come from his affiliation with any group or society, but Jesus came in the authority of God, which proved Jesus' demonstrations of power, of God's power, and by using God's word to justify everything that he said and did. God's word is the only real and permanent authority. Every man-made organization is destined to deteriorate and fall at the point at which the men involved decide to deviate from the teachings of the word of God. Jesus went to the cross quoting the scripture, and the word of God was the blueprint from which Jesus lived his life. Maria and I were at Weight Watchers meeting a week ago, Saturday, and as we were leaving, a woman that is a member of both Weight Watchers and one of our dance classes stopped to ask us a question. She related that she wanted to come out to Club 621 on Thursday night to dance and listen to the music with the group of us that frequent that particular night spot, but that someone from her church told her 
that it was a sin to go to a nightclub, which Club 621 certainly is, as people go there to drink alcohol and pick up partners for immoral activities. So Christians shouldn't go there. Well, I told her that I agree that she shouldn't go to Club 621 to drink and pick up a partner for immoral activities, but that everyone that goes to Club 621 does not go to participate in those activities, although some certainly do. I related that I go to 621 to eat rather than to drink alcohol and to dance with my wife rather than pick up a partner for an immoral activity, and that I have the individual moral ability to not commit sin but to positively influence those who are committing sin, being the light that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, in which he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But to be the light of the world, you have to be in the world. The world will not see your light in this church building, regardless of how brightly you try to shine in here. Individual morality on the world stage is more important than group morality in church because we are saved individually not as a group. We have more influence in the world shining our lights individually than we have in an insulated group. Our group affiliation only insulate us from the world and as a consequence, insulate the world from us. But insulation is not Jesus's commandment. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So the admonition of the scripture is to go into the world, not to barricade ourselves in our little Christian enclaves until the word, world decides to come in and meet us. Salt has to mix with the food to provide flavor. Salt in the salt shaker does nothing until it comes out. Of course, it is risky to come out because you have to be absorbed by the world before you can change its flavor. You have to really be the salt of which Jesus Christ is speaking because the world may be trying to change your flavor just as much as you are trying to change the flavor of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus was the ultimate example of salt. He entered the city of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing deeds that changed men's heart. But the Jewish leadership did not appreciate the seasoning that Jesus brought because his flavor challenged theirs. His tastiness 
threatened to replace the blandness with which the Jews seasoned the city. So they killed him, nailing him to the old rugged cross. Jesus hung on that cross from the sixth to the ninth hour, quoting the scripture and suffering, paying the penalty that you owe and that I owe for the sins that we have committed. Jesus lost his life on the cross, but even to the end, he did not lose his flavor. Jesus lived in sinful circumstances among sinful men, but did not allow the sins of others to affect his flavor. Jesus died at the hands of jealous men, but he did not allow their jealousy to affect his flavor. They beat Jesus and spit on him, but he did not allow their mistreatment to affect his flavor. Ultimately, they killed Jesus, but Jesus was salt. Nothing affected his flavor, not even death. They killed him and buried him and sealed up his tomb, but even death could not affect his flavor because early on that first Easter Sunday, God raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus walked once again, providing salt and light for those whom he deputized to preach the gospel. The Jews that had executed Jesus were ultimately executed themselves, but the church that Jesus Christ founded is still producing individuals that are salt and light, even as was Jesus. Jesus is still calling for us to be salt and light. Jesus is not nearly as interested in our organizations as he is in us individually. He is still calling for us to go to be salt and to be light. You may not be able to sing like an angel and you may not be able to preach like Paul, but you can be salt and light in the corner of the world with which you have influence. Your evangelistic field is only as wide as your circle of acquaintances. Jesus only had 11 men as disciples when he died, but those 11 were able to influence others to realize the reality of the resurrection and the deity of the Christ and the group of the disciples to individual, grew individually and effectively as more and more individuals were convinced that although the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that we would believe in him and then become salt and light to those with whom we come into contact. He could have affected the whole world, but he chose to only have a few faithful disciples so that we would be encouraged by his examples to touch the few with whom we come into contact and not become discouraged simply because our reach is not as wide as that of the Jewish and Roman leadership. So let us emulate the example of Jesus live in the real world and not in our little artificial church bubbles. And as Jesus instructs us in Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson, and we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ, his miracles, his works, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, and then his death on that Friday, and his resurrection on that Sunday. We thank you for the salt and the light that he spread to the world, and we ask you that you would give us this morning the desire and the ability to emulate his example and to spread his word and his example wherever we go, touching those with whom we come into contact. And now, Lord, we thank you for all who are in the house today, and we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us another opportunity to come out, and we ask you to thank you for the lesson this morning, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us that uh, we might be able to be salt and light wherever we happen to be. Give us uh, that which we require uh, to let someone know of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Praying for Sister Allen this morning. We're asking you that uh, you would bless her personally as uh, she's beginning to have a challenge with her vision. And we ask you, Lord, that you would uh, intervene on her behalf, touch her, touch her optic nerve and make it uh, strong and able to uh, support her sight. We continue in prayer for her father. We're thanking you for his recovery and that he's able to regulate his sugar. And we're also asking, thanking you that Brother Hardrick is doing better in his situation. We're asking that you continue to give him strength as his body heals from that accident. We're asking you, Lord, also to bless Sister Nota Brown as she is uh, uh, going, going through a medical situation. And we ask you, Lord, that you give her strength. I go in that room, just extend the hem of your garment to her that she might be made whole from her malady. And we ask you, Lord, that you give Sister Allen's mother patience and give her the ability to wait as her ankle heals from its breaking. Help her, Lord, to have uh, that which she requires to follow the doctor's instructions and allow that limb to heal without surgery. And we want to thank you for that. And we're praying for uh, the family of Grant Hersey. And we're asking you, Lord, that you bless them and give them comfort in this, their hour of bereavement. Give Sister Allen traveling mercies uh, as she uh, flies to Tucson. Let the plane, let the pilot have a good day. And, Allow him to come back and go and come back safely, carrying her and just give them a good visit and allow them to uh, uh, memorialize Brother Hersey and have a good remembrance of his life. And allow the family to uh, get together. Thank you for that. for my wife, Lord, and for Mr. Paul. We're asking you, Lord, that uh, you let the pilot that's in charge of his plane have a good day as he's flying in uh, from Florida this morning. And we ask you, Lord, that... Uh, you would just keep him safe and bring him back home, uh, allow his ride from the airport to his house to be safe as well. Just bring him home and allow him to uh, be ready for the next week. We're praying for 
also for Sister Camille Garrity, who has uh, been diagnosed with cancer, but she has a positive result from, from the doctors, and she's going to have the treatment. We just ask you, Lord, that we know that the doctors are, are knowledgeable and that they have remedies and cures, but we know that you have all power in your hand, and so we ask that you would touch in her situation and uh, heal her and then bring her back with a glorious testimony of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And we're thanking you for that as well. Now we're praying for Rick, who's over on the battlefield, and we're asking that you continue to bless him, give him that hedge of protection that surrounds those whom you are pleased with. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you bless his young marriage as well. Give his wife uh, the intestinal fortitude that she requires to maintain their relationship, although miles and distance and circumstances keep them apart. And we're also praying for Eric and Amanda. We're asking you that as Amanda come to the end of her gestation period this uh, in this next month coming, that the child that she's carrying would be uh, safe and healthy in her womb, that it would come out and it would be a source of joy for them, that they would just have that which they require uh, to make their young family uh, grow and prosper. And we want to thank you for all that Paul are concerned about. We thank you for that as well. Praying for Brother Edwards, Lord, as he's traveling in from Indiana. And we're asking you, Lord, that you give him traveling mercy on the road and bring him back home safely. We pray for his children, who are uh, one of whom is here in town. And we ask you, Lord, that you bless them uh, and uh, allow them to enjoy their uh, athletic endeavors that they're working on today. We just want you to go with them and stand by them, guide them and direct them in all that they do and help him to raise those young fellows in the way that they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart from it. I we're praying also, Lord, for those whom Brother Lee and Sister Lee are concerned about, for Brother Grace and Brother White, uh, for Sister Senior and Brother Bishop. We just ask you that you bless all uh, in that little circle. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you blessed uh, 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 Cedric as he passed his test and received a scholarship. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you would continue to give him a steel trap mind, that as he is faced with these academic situations, that he will be able to remember that which the teacher says in its entirety. And when the test time comes, that he will have a good report for the teacher, that he'll be able to give them all the information back, even as they gave it to him, and continue his academic success in that area. We're also praying for Sister Lee, Lord, as she's beginning a new, her old new job uh, tomorrow. And we ask you, Lord, that uh, you give her patience, that you give her peace, that you give her uh, the skill that she requires to provide the counsel to the young people that they actually need. And we ask you that you go with her and stand by her, give her, just give her uh, equilibrium and give her patience and just help her as she goes back into that venue. We want to thank you for that as well. And we pray for, for Brother Lee and also for Darius as he's finishing up his time in school. And we ask you uh, that you bless him up there in Pennsylvania as well. Praying for the McClure's this morning. We're thanking you for them. And we're asking you that you continue to bless their family, the children in the various colleges that they happen to be in. We ask you that uh, you keep them safe there. Allow them to maintain their physical health and also to increase their intellectual ability that they might be able to come home with a good report at the end of the term. We're praying for Janelle that as she winds up her academic career that she will be prepared for her next step as she goes on. 
And we just thank you, Lord, for J.J., and we're asking that you continue to bless him as he's preparing and going, moving up the line, moving up the ladder as he goes through his college career. And then bless them, bind them together with cords of love that cannot be broken. Praying for the Winston this morning, asking that you continue to bless Brother Winston as he rehabilitates from his knee replacement. And we just ask, Lord, that you bless Sister Winston as well as she is ministering to him and taking care of those things at home. We just ask you, Lord, that you go with them and stand by them, guide them, and bless them, and direct them in all the way you do. And I'm praying for Dad this morning, Lord. I'm asking that you continue to bless him. We thank you that, that the surgery all went well, that we were able to travel to the city and travel home and make it back safely. We just thank you, Lord, that all these things went well. We continue in prayer for Aunt Naomi, too, as she has one more eye from which to have a cataract removed. And we just ask that the surgeon would maintain his skill in her case. And we just thank you for the recovery that they've had. Continuing in prayer for the rest of my family, Marvin and Uncle Jeb and Aunt Naomi and Aunt Elizabeth and Uncle James and Aunt Barbara. Just bless them, Lord. Bless them all. Also in prayer for Brother Northern and Brother Perkins as they're raising those young children. Uh, give them that which they require that they might be able to raise them in the way that they should go. So that they, when they get old, they do not, they will not depart from it. And we also pray, Lord, for Brother Sister Allen's grandchildren who are here with us today. We ask you that you would give them that which they require to go to school and get their lessons and to deport themselves in such a way that would be pleasing to their parents and to the teachers. Just guide them and direct them in all that they do. And we thank you, Lord, for Brother Armstrong that's come to be with us today. We just ask you, Lord, that you guide and direct him as well. Go with him and stand by him and all that he does. And now, Lord, we thank you for this little place that you've given us for the lessons and for the ability that we have to make the word plain. And we ask that you bring us back at the appointed time and with another lesson that will uplift your kingdom and let your word sink deeply into someone's heart. And now, Lord, we thank you. I pray for my wife, who's the love of my life. I ask that you continue to bless us. Bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. Let us enjoy our years that we have together. And we thank you for it. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ died that our sins might be forgiven. He gave himself in a most public and humiliating death, executed on the old rugged cross. They took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb, and early on that Easter Sunday morning, he rose from the dead physically that we might have a right and a just right to the tree of life. Let us remember all that we have learned about Jesus Christ and remember to thank him for that which he has done for us. And let us remember him now as we eat and drink together. May the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest with the Bible that's not henceforth and forevermore, but every heart say,